Okay, welcome to Rooted in Revelation podcast, where we seek to make God's revelation our foundation. And uh, this is going to be a great discussion. We're going to be talking about some aliens, some UFOs, and some paranormal activity. So a kind of X-File throwback style uh, kind of podcast. And and with me, I got Nick. Hello, everyone. Good there to be go. back with you. Good, good. And we actually have a good friend from uh, me and Nick's church that we've recently become friends with. His name's Sam. He's going to be joining us to listen in. What's up, Sam? Howdy. What's going on? Nice. And so with us, we have Colin. Is it Samuel? Samuel. Samuel. Okay, that's better. Colin Samuel. It's kind of like Samuel. Is it? like? Okay. Could, could be. Yeah. All right. Could be the German spelling of that name. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, Colin, uh, you're our special guest today. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Mm-hmm. Um, just basic uh, overview um, bio of me. Um, I am the pastor and church planter at uh, Great Basin Reform Presbyterian Church in Reno, Nevada. So I've been here since 2017. Uh, prior to being here at this church, I was in the RCUS, that's the German Reformed Church, which is also a, a member of, of NAPARC, um, along with the RP and the um, um, PCA. Um, so came here in 2017, we planted the church in 2018. I was ordained and installed as the pastor here in 2019. And um, the Lord's blessed us. He's uh, grown this congregation beyond the handful that was here when we first started. And um, so, yeah, that's that's basically what I do full time on the side. I also I'm a, I'm a tent maker. So I uh, help my father-in-law run his window cleaning company. And then here and there I go on podcasts and talk about aliens. So there's that, too. And so that, that's what brings me here today. <laughs> so, Colin, I know. I feel like I've run across your name in on Facebook forums across the years. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but um, so when Nate told me that he got a guest to talk about aliens, I was just like, we did, did we? And so like, how did you, what sparked your interest into this, um, I guess, less common realm uh, that, that isn't talked about so much within Christendom? Uh, yeah, sure. That, that's a great question because I, yeah, I think that's the, the foremost thing in people's mind when, when they hear of a Presbyterian pastor talking about this kind of stuff. It, it's actually rooted in my background from before I was a Christian. So I was converted in 2005. So that was when I was 21. And prior to that, I was not raised in the church was not really raised with any particular spiritual beliefs, though my family has a Roman Catholic background. And I think like most young people in the 90s, I watch shows like The X-Files and Sightings and uh, some of these docu-series on on cable networks around the subject about Roswell and, and whatever. And for me, not having any spiritual beliefs and really just kind of assuming that this world is all there is, I basically assumed if there's anything in the realm of the weird that's real, it might be that, right? I was raised believing in evolution, um, being taught evolution in the public schools, just like most people are. 
And so as most people think who come from that worldview, most likely there's, there's other evolved intelligences out there. And there's all these reports of things in the sky and people saying they're abducted, being abducted, and, and maybe some of it's true and heck, why not? So that was sort of in the back of my mind, uh, something that I was interested in and that, that, again, I thought could possibly be real. Um, I did growing up have some sleep paralysis and other night terrors that when I saw things about abduction, I was wondering whether or not that was what was going on. Um, right, as kids, we see things on TV and then that's the first thing we do. Could this happen to me? Is it happening to me? Um, but when I came to the end of high school, I got into sort of the hippie culture and with the hippie culture, you know, mixed with experimenting with psychedelics and other things, there's Eastern mysticism. Um, knocking at the door of, of that whole subculture. So the first religious text I ever read was the Bhagavad Gita. Um, read it, devoured it, loved it, started chanting Hare Krishna. Um, then got into all sorts of other Eastern philosophies and occult practices. And in that time period, towards the end of high school, uh, till I was about the age of 19 and 20, um, I, I saw how the subject of UFOs and aliens actually intersected with all of that. And um, I, I don't really like going into it, but I had some experiences um, that, that could intersect, could be interpreted as intersecting with what people often describe as being alien encounters. Of, of course, we've all heard of Joe Rogan and others talking about how even on psychedelics, people have experiences that are very similar to purported alien encounters. Um, so do you mind if I just interrupt and ask sure. a question right there? So I don't want to go into anything that you don't want to talk about or aren't comfortable with, whatever. I totally get that. Um, but I'm just curious, the uh, the potential encounters you're referring to, were those in the time that you were, you know, getting into some of those occult, I don't know if it was occult things exactly, or like the Middle Eastern philosophy, psychedelics, or was that prior to that stage in your life or both? Uh so I would say there's there's a not a very firm boundary there. Um, I can remember, like I said, as a young boy having sleep paralysis, I can remember experiences where falling asleep, like I felt like I was coming out of my body and was staring at the ceiling like it was right in front of my face and it was very real and surreal and it was disturbing. Um, I wouldn't really say I remembered that and that's what led me into those practices, but certainly once I got into those practices, I kind of remembered some of my prior experiences and saw again, some intersection with what I was experiencing along with what I experienced um, in my youth, like elementary school time period. Um, the, the experiences that I did have would, be when I was practicing some of those things, but they also continued after I stopped. Um, so to continue with my testimony, I kind of hit rock bottom and experiencing a lot of dark things. And um, so I, I quit all of it, um, was turned off by it, but I continued especially to have 
terrifying sleep paralysis for quite a bit of time, um, along with other out-of-body type experiences associated with sleep. Um, and in that time period is when I started to consider whether or not what I had heard Christians say about all of this stuff, that it's demonic, right? Maybe they're right. <laughs> um, I'm not liking what I'm experiencing. It's coming across as very dark and imposing. And um, so in that time period, that would have been 2004 to 2005, I started to research Christianity um, and uh, eventually heard Hell's Best Kept Secret by Ray Comfort, which was the clearest gospel presentation I ever heard. And then I was converted Lo and behold, when I was converted, all of those experiences kind of went away. It was like the door was shut, and um, I've been a Christian ever since. Um, so that, that's just sort of my testimony along with my background of interest in this and, and why I've continued to keep an eye on it as a Christian. But I do think that you had a, a follow-up question. It looked like you were trying to ask. Um, yeah, um, I was just going to ask... So from your experiences when you were like a kid or, you know, earlier in your life versus like the times that you were, and I'm not trying to uh, talk up psychedelics or anything like that. Cause obviously I'm not, <laughs> I'm yeah. not encouraging anybody to do that. And I'm yeah. not supposing that's a good thing for anyone, but um, your experiences when you would do take substances like that versus your experiences when you were, you know, like a child or younger and not exposed to anything you mind altering, so to speak, were they like very similar or very different? Like, could you tell that one was like natural versus one was like brought on by psychedelics? Well, well the latter was definitely more powerful and long lasting and clearly intentional, but the whole mood of the experience was very similar. And there was almost a sense of I've been here before. Um, and that, that's actually not entirely uncommon for people who toy around with psychedelics. Um, that, that's not uncommon for, for people to report that there's a sense of, I've been here before. Um, so, so it could be, right, I, I mean, psychedelics almost put you into a waking dream state. Uh, maybe that's where the familiarity comes from. But at least with me, I definitely tied it to some of those things that I had experienced when I was younger. And, and there and was you, there was a relation of some sort. It was very clear um, in my mind. And I, I know we kind of have an outline, but before we jump into that, I just have one other question. Sure. So like, the, I think that there are a lot of us, you know, I have a similar testimony to you um, in the sense that I became a Christian later in my, uh, my early adulthood. And I, you know, was very open to the idea of aliens, uh, you know, things like that. I never got into the occult. I never did psychedelics. I haven't really had sleep paralysis or out of body experiences, but, you know, I definitely had a fleeting interest in the unknown and in the what could be's. Um, and most of the Christians that I know, you know, who, who've gone from the place that we were to being in Christ a little bit later in life tend to typically leave some of the UFO, you know, stuff behind. So, like, um, would you say that it was the experiences that you had that kind of like um, kept your interest in it and, and led to some 
maybe biblical connections. I know we're not quite there yet. Um, but like, what would, what, what made your experience different than mine where I just like assumed that a lot of the alien stuff was like bunk and, and where you are, you know, might be making connections that I'm missing. Sure. So with, and I don't know how much we want to get into the stuff that's been in the news recently, but with this whole push for disclosure, where there's been a, a lot of credible people and even government officials, ex-government officials, um, current members of Congress talking about this and, and saying there's something to this and it's not just, it, it can't be explained away. Um, this whole disclosure movement that um, we're, we're sort of seeing on the ascendancy in our culture, I, I was interested in that back in the early 2000s. So in that time period, um, not only was I right interested in the occult, but there was a, a guy named Stephen Greer, who you may have heard of before. He um, had a list of witnesses who were all, all credible military witnesses with their DD-214s in hand. And, and they gave their testimony at the National Press Club. And, and Stephen Greer was really pushing for really what we're seeing right now. And that is, you know, congressional disclosures and, and Congress investigating this. Um, I was really into that idea back then. And so when I became a Christian, it's not that I really kept following it, but I kept an eye on it um, because I knew that there was this organized movement to push this stuff out into the open and to push for some sort of official recognition that this phenomenon is real. And of course, as a Christian, I, I have a, a vested interest in that sort of discussion going mainstream, especially in light of my testimony and the background that I came out of. So I, I didn't really devote a whole lot of time to it. Um, I would look at biblical resources, apologetic resources. Okay, so what do we make of this phenomenon as a Christian? I did spend some time doing that. Um, but it wasn't until the last few years when things really started to heat up surrounding Tom DeLonge the company he founded, and um, the first New York Times article that came out in 2017. It wasn't until that time period that I really started to investigate this, even reach out to researchers and other people, and, and really wrap my head around what's, what's going on. And of course, that led to my appearance on the Cultish podcast and other things. And I keep getting invited on podcasts like this, so um, I've just kind of seen it as a side ministry. Um, because this is a subject that is becoming more and more relevant in our culture. And it's something that, that in the providence of God, I've just become well-versed in. Awesome. Well, thank you for answering my silly questions. Uh, I'll, I'll hand it over to Nate here from this point. Yeah, my turn. Yeah, I know. I'm just kidding. But um, yeah, so I, I mean, that would be a, probably a good place to hop on into, you know, so what, what would you say or could you share with us maybe kind of the history of thought behind aliens and UFOs and up into the present, if that makes sense, like the sure. whole phenomena? Yeah. So if, if we look at, at the history of the world, um, every culture until really the modern period assumed that there were all sorts of non-human intelligences, 
um, existing in creation, whether it's angels, demons. Of course, there were things like fairy lore uh, in, in Scotland and in Europe and in other places. Uh, that's a lot different than what you would think of, right? We think of Tinkerbell with a when we think of a fairy, um, but that, that's not exactly what, what fairy lore was all about. Um, you, you even go to pagan religions, right? The idea of gods and goddesses. If we could sum all of this up under one rubric, it would be that human beings since time immemorial have believed that there are other intelligences out there that um, through various modes and in various ways do interact with us and interact with our realm. And so you, you can see, you know, apart from the Bible where, where it speaks of angels and demons, uh, even in the Middle Ages, you, you see plenty of stories of uh, strange things appearing in the sky that were not comets, were not other astronomical phenomenon. Uh, there's all sorts of cases of that, again, in the Dark Ages and in the Middle Ages. We often write that off as just uh, people back then were crazy and they, they saw things that weren't there. Um, However, even when you come into the Reformation period, um, you, you do see, for example, in the early colonies here in America, uh, you see Increase Mather, Cotton Mather, even John Winthrop in his journals talking a bit again about strange uh, lights dancing around in the sky and, and strange phenomenon surrounding that sort of activity. So, so this is nothing new. Um, I think what's new is it gets put into a materialistic framework where it's assumed that what's seen are um, advanced biological, highly evolved creatures who've come over here on spaceships. Um, and indeed, there's, there's much to this phenomenon that presents itself in that way to people. Um, but when you come more to the modern period, um, in the 1890s and the early 1900s, there was the airship sightings. Um, many of them were seen in California, and then in the early 1900s, they were seen in the East Coast, and I think in Europe as well, um, where these strange flying ships were seen by thousands of people in populated cities. Um, many of those who reported to see them were, were um, scientists, other reputable people. They would see strange-looking men peering out the windows. And um, then often these ships would zip off um, at incredible speed, uh, very similar to what you hear from modern UFO reports. And uh, the, the phenomenon um, has, has never really been explained. Um, some sociologists will say, okay, it was mass hallucination, it was um, whatever. But the simple fact of the matter is there was these mass sightings in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Of course, going up to World War II, you have the Foo Fighters, um, both uh, Japanese, German, and American pilots reported seeing these strange orbs following them on their bomb bombing sorties. They all thought it was maybe secret technology from the other side. Clearly after the war, they, they learned that that wasn't the case as far as they knew. Uh, but really, the, the modern UFO phenomenon, as we've come to characterize it, um, really started in 1947 after a, a pilot named Kenneth Arnold saw 
what he said looked like saucers skipping at incredible speed at thousands of miles an hour, um, again, right outside Mount Rainier. He was participating in a search and rescue mission and he saw these things zip by in formation. And that's also where um, the term flying saucer came from. Um, and so of course, since then, whether it's military witnesses, pilots, uh, other credible people like police officers, right? Um, people from all walks of life have claimed to see these things. And as we just saw in the last year or two, um, even right, fighter pilots have come forward, videos have been released by the government showing some of these strange objects. Um, so that's just a broad overview of, of the phenomenon in history up in the pre-modern period and, and really as we've come to experience it since World War II. Um, strange things in the sky that, that are unexplainable and um, that have been witnessed by credible people. Really that's, that's where the term UFO or UAP comes from. So that's just an overview. I don't know if you want to fish for more information. A lot more can clearly be said. Yeah, no, no, I think that's, that's good and fine. Um, next. Can I ask one question real quick? Mm -hmm. What about the men in black? I've like looked into some UFO stories and the creepiest thing, in my opinion, are the men in black. Have you dove into that subject at all? Not really. I'm not an expert in that area, but um, a Lutheran minister who's a friend of mine, Ray Boucher, um, he appeared on the Cultish podcast with me a couple weeks ago. He's looked into it. And uh, yeah, as, as you probably read, often after a UFO experience, these men in black who are, who are not, it's not Will Smith, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, they, they don't appear like that. Uh, they're often, they, they come across as not being human. Uh, to the people who witness them and encounter them. Uh, Their speaking is very flat and metallic. They threaten the, the person who had the experience to, to not talk about it. And then very often they'll disappear right before their eyes or they'll look away and look back and then they, they won't be there anymore. Um, interestingly enough, some occult researchers have claimed and I haven't seen the primary source evidence on this, that during the Salem witch trials, um, there were uh, people in that time period claiming that same phenomenon surrounding the occult phenomenon with witchcraft of strange figures showing up and threatening them and telling them not to talk about it. Um, so that's another phenomenon that might seem to be modern, but apparently, again, there's, there, there's a history to it where you can see parallels um, with, with stories from the past. Thanks. Yeah. So we're all good presuppositionalists and we like to yep. talk about worldview. Um, so, you know, what, how should Christians understand this and a Christian worldview, as opposed to, you know, differing worldviews, whether it be Eastern secular, uh, I mean, I mean, that's, I know that's pretty general categories and thrown out there, but what do we make of these phenomenons, uh, phenomena as Christians in comparison to what other people are going to be looking at it as? Yeah, well, I think the, the, the question we need to ask, and as I stated before, when we look across world history, most human cultures until the modern period 
have all taught and believed that there are non-human intelligences that are out there and they call them different things, right? And they put them in different categories and even organize them according to different hierarchies. Uh, but, the, but the question we really need to be asking as Christians is, according to the Bible, are there non-human intelligences? What do, you, what do you think the answer is? Yes. Yes. Um, so, right, in the Bible, we, we see the, the category of angels and demons, right? And really, they're all one category, just like humanity is one category. There's just elect and reprobate angels. But ontologically, they are all the same. Of course, we get some indications in scripture that there, there's a hierarchy, right? There's, there's um, principalities and powers and angels and archangels and different theologians in both the Eastern and Western church have organized them in different ways. But we do know that, that they are there, that they're organized. Um, there, there's plenty of reason to assume that the fallen ones are also organized according to classes, that there is an order among them. Um, so at the very least, we, we can if we presuppose scripture as the foundation of our worldview, we have to, um, as Sam said, affirm that yes, there are non-human intelligences in the created order. Um, the, the next question we might ask is, okay, so those are spiritual creatures. Um, could there be other biological intelligences out there? And so, Christians have answered that. Go ahead. No, go ahead. You might you might be getting here. I'm sorry. No, go ahead and ask a question. The the word starts with an N and ends in Ephilim. I'm sure you knew this was coming. Oh, so yeah. how 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 would the Nephilim? How would you say the Nephilim fit into this this paradigm? Well, um, that's a whole other rabbit trail, but um, it, it is a good question. So men like Michael Heiser um, and even, even some others in the modern period have argued that Genesis 6 should be taken to be angels um, having uh, uh, children, offspring with, with human women. Um, so that we should take that literally. We don't know how it happens. We just know that it did happen if you, if you hold to that perspective. And the Nephilim, of course, were the product of that union. They were sort of like a, a angelic human fusion. And according to some of the church fathers and the second temple literature, um, the flood wiped them out. Um, however, their spirits still roam upon the earth. And so Heiser and others and, and some of the Jewish theologians and even some of the early church fathers said that that's actually what demons are that possess people. It's the spirit of dead Nephilim seeking to re-enter a human body. And, and that's why they, they have this insatiable urge to possess human beings. And so people who hold to that perspective will say there's a difference between demons that possess people and other fallen spirits that might not necessarily do that. For me, the, the jury's still out on that. Um, I, I think people really need to consider some of Heiser's arguments. I, I disagree with him on a lot of things. Um, I don't see that 
that perspective would necessarily contradict um, what, for example, the Westminster Confession says about angels and demons. Um, but but you often do do see a, a lot of the lore around the Nephilim um, intersecting with this subject. Well, it's just interesting because like you said, in, in Genesis 6, you get that passage where it talks about the Nephilim and then immediately the flood comes. So it's like, uh, it's almost like those things are kind of connected maybe to maybe deliberately in scripture. Um, would you, I think you said Heiser, would you say that his arguments are based off of biblical truth or like, um, cause I, I don't see a lot of this from Genesis six where I could come to those conclusions that he comes to. Does he, you know, take uh, angelology and demonology from like the new Testament and how we see demons inhabiting people and then infer that back into this text. Or do you think he's making an argument from, you know, personal secular observation? I don't think he's making any arguments from personal secular observation. Um, Heiser kind of resists his work being used um, in relation to the UFO subject though. He, again, sort of like me on the side, uh, does research this subject. And um, I think Faith Life TV actually put out a really good documentary called Angels and Demons. Um, I, I forgot the full title, but it's, it's very well done, a good overview of this whole subject from a Christian perspective. But Heiser's kind of resisted his scholarship on the Nephilim being used in relation to this phenomenon. Um, I think what he's doing is he's saying, yes, the New Testament, especially how Jude quotes from the book of Enoch, the New Testament shows us that uh, the New Testament authors were, were operating according to the assumptions of Second Temple literature, the book of Enoch being one of those, and he's clear that the book of Enoch is not scripture, and that um, that comports with that understanding of Genesis 6. Um, but I think there's other internal exegetical arguments that could be made surrounding Genesis 6 that could go either way. Um, exegesis, right, you, you begin with the text itself, then you try and fit it into the full context of scripture, then you bring in historical context and try to come up with what, what is the most likely interpretation and again, I think you can go either way on that subject. Cool, man. Thank you. Yep. So, but, but I think um, going back to the, the question of do non-human intelligences exist? So yes, we, we would affirm that they do exist in the spirit realm, which is the Bible sort of pictures it like another dimension of sorts. Um, the question is, are there other biological non-human intelligences in this universe. And again, Christians have argued both ways. Some say absolutely not, because only man is made in God's image. Um, there would be an issue of justice, um, because we learned from scripture that the entire creation was apparently cursed because of Adam's fall into sin. And so how would that be fair to some sentient intelligent creature on some other planet that they're now going to be cursed because of our sin um and often those who deny that there could be other biological intelligent life in the universe uh, they will 
um, they will appeal to that. And um, again, they, they often view intelligence as being integral to being made in God's image. So if there's other intelligent life out there, it must be made in God's image. And the Bible sure seems to say that we're the only ones made in God's image. Um, if you look at certain theologians in the Middle Ages, but e even in the 1900s, um, theologians like Thomas Chalmers, who was a conservative Presbyterian minister in Scotland, um, he argued robustly that no, that there's probably other life out there, and a lot of it could be intelligent. Uh, not that it evolved, but God created it just like he created us. He didn't create an empty universe. He created a full universe. And as he would say, just because life is intelligent doesn't necessarily mean it's made in God's image or is in covenant with God. Um, so you see Christians going both ways. And, and honestly, I could go both ways. If someone, if there was real biological, tangible proof that there was other intelligent life out there, I don't think that that would necessarily contradict the teachings of scripture. Would, um, would you say, are there Christians who make the argument that in Genesis three, God says, I'm reading from the NASB, mm -hmm. cursed is the ground because of you, you know, the ground, what ground was he on? He was on the earth, right? So if he's saying cursed is the ground, cursed is the earth because of you, are there some Christians who would make the argument that God just haven't, hasn't revealed to us that he has created life on a, another planet or in another universe and that ground maybe wasn't cursed or is, you know, in a, in a different kind of economy than we are with God? Does anybody ever make that argument or connection? So that, that that's basically the uh, argument of this uh, series by C.S. Lewis, The Space Trilogy, um, which, um, in my opinion, this is the most mature, this is the finest work that, that Lewis put out um, as far as fiction that sort of intersects with theology and philosophy. A, a lot of people right now are, are reading that hideous strength, which is the third, third book in the series, because he he sort of puts a warning out about totalitarianism and uh, even wokeism. Um, but the, the, the series is about science, technology, space travel, and how that all might intersect with life on other planets and the spirit realm. It, it's a very thought-provoking um, fiction series. Um, in his second book, Paralandra, really goes into presenting a picture of, as you said, intelligent life that relates to God in some way on another planet, but as you said, is under a different economy. And so I, I think men like Chalmers that I mentioned earlier and, and Lewis would say that, yeah, only the earth was cursed um, because of man's sin, not necessarily the entire creation. Um, and Lewis in that, that fiction series, he, he's very thought provoking on, on how, how that could all work out. And I, I recommend it to people. Um, and it, it's just good Christian literature as well. So, so okay, we, we answer the question, is there non-human intelligence, right? 100% there's non-human intelligence in the spirit realm. There could be in the material realm. So the question then becomes this, this whole UFO phenomenon 
what, where does it fit? And I will make the argument, as will many others who've looked at this from a Christian perspective, that the vast majority of what is described um, as UFO, as UAP, as, as being related to this whole subject, the vast majority of what people are experiencing does appear to be occultic in nature and um, quite possibly demonic in nature. Now, again, I'm, I'm not saying all UFO means is unidentified flying object or their new term is UAP, unidentified aerial phenomenon. It's referring to objects that show extraordinary capabilities. So moving at hypersonic speeds and G-forces that go beyond anything that any material object could handle. Uh, one, one, one case that has come out in the news in the last couple of years was the Tic Tac UFO encounter that occurred back in 2004 off of the coast of San Diego, where several F-18 pilots, they were vectored out to where this object was seen on multiple radar systems. It came down from 80,000 feet and then came down to the ocean floor, just 50 feet above the, the, the ocean surface, I mean, in a second. So that's about 20,000 miles an hour. It moved on radar. Uh, F-18s were dispatched. Um, from the USS Nimitz to go investigate it. They had an encounter with it where they sort of chased it for a moment. And then uh, Commander David Fravor um, says that when he came right up on it, it zipped off. It, what he estimated was, again, thousands of miles an hour, if not tens of thousands of miles an hour with how quickly it moved. And so you're talking about hundreds of G-forces. It would obliterate not only a human body, but the very hull of any aircraft that we could design, it would just, it would, it would be destroyed if it moved at those speeds. Um, so when we talk about UFO, we're not talking about something that just can't be identified. So if you see a weird light in the sky, okay, well, that's a UFO. Um, when something receives that classification and that, that new classification UAP that the government has put out, According to the report, the preliminary report that was just submitted to Congress last month, they give it that category when it is moving in ways beyond what we can even comprehend. It shows intelligence. Um, and, um, and again, it could be a potential threat because of the fact that it could, right, if it, if it wanted to attack one of our fighter jets, it, it, there'd be no match. So that's why it's being classified as a national security issue. So this phenomenon, um, as I've said, people have witnessed these things since time immemorial. This is nothing new. What's new is that it is appearing and sometimes often seems to intentionally be appearing to human subjects in a way that, that would lend us to believe that these things are spaceships, right? They, they look like, as Kenneth Arnold said, these flying saucers, these metal disks, uh, they seem a lot like technology. However, as 
uh, researchers like um, J. Allen Hynek, who was an astronomer that was appointed by the Air Force in the 1960s to investigate reports that came in from the Air Force. Another man named Jacques Vallée, who was his colleague, who's still alive to this day. Um, as they went through all of these reports, they saw a lot of inconsistencies. First, they saw that sometimes these objects change shape midair. So one minute it looks like a disc, then maybe it will turn into an oval, and then maybe it will just disappear from sight. So there was a sense in which it almost functioned like an apparition, right? Not, not something solid and material, but something that materialized. And so the, these two early researchers who were both hired by the Air Force to, to sort of catalog and investigate all of these encounters, um, they both came to the conclusion very early on that this doesn't appear to be a technology coming from some other planet, as they categorized it. Um, it, it appeared to almost be coming in from another dimension and it can toy with our perceptions. And they even went so far as to say that it um, mirrored what people in prior times would have called demonology. Um, they especially came to that conclusion when they examined the effects that it would have upon those who had a close encounter with such an object. Often people post having a close encounter with a UAP or a UFO would experience poltergeist phenomenon in their home, would claim to, at least from their point of view, they, they felt that they would have premonitions. It's almost as if, if they had, had developed some sort of psychic awareness because of this close encounter. Um, one case that, that J. Allen Hynek cites in a book called The Edge of Reality that he co-wrote with Jacques Vallée, he cites a case in the Nevada desert where two truck drivers were out probably four hours from where I'm at in Reno. And all of a sudden a disc appears in front of them um, up in the sky, not, not too high off the ground. And when they saw it, there, there was an experience of fear and panic and the passenger started laughing hysterically and pointing at it saying, I know what that thing is. And then when it disappeared, this mindset that they had been put in dissipated. And the, the, the driver said to the passenger, you know, as, as they were reflecting upon what just happened and did you see that? Um, the driver said, well, you started laughing hysterically and you said, I, I know what that thing is. The passenger said, I remember saying that and I don't know why I said that. And as Heineck and Valet um, look at that report and, and they've seen plenty of cases where, where people almost have that, that mystical ecstatic experience when they have a close encounter with the UFO, they, they said that that would be 
classified as a mystical state. So whatever it was that they saw, it put them in an altered state of consciousness. They both objectively saw the same thing. They weren't on drugs, right? And yet what they saw affected their perception of reality. It, it almost, again, brought them into a heightened mental state. And then you couple that with survey after survey that, that shows that yeah, those who have close encounters with UAPs, UFOs, often after that have ghost experiences, poltergeist experiences, and these, these surveys that have been done control the factor that, okay, well, are these people who are just prone to believe in fantastical things? Are these people who, who psychologically show mental illness or psychologically show that, that they, again, they, they like believing in strange things. No, th these are people from all walks of life who've had these encounters randomly and the after effect of it seems to be deep, deeply spiritual and dare I say, supernatural. Um, and so especially when you look at the effects that it has on those who encounter such things, that's when the spiritual dimension of all of this really comes out, especially when you come to abductions and contactee experiences, that really comes through because the message that always comes through, if it isn't something terrifying, like someone being sexually assaulted, which we all know the stories of, of what people have said has happened to them when they're abducted. And that mirrors fairy lore from um, the middle ages, as many people have pointed out if it's not that kind of experience, often when people have experience with the entities who are supposedly behind these crafts, it's always some spiritual message that just so happens to directly contradict scripture. And so as Christians, when you look at this phenomenon, okay, so even secular researchers almost always come to the conclusion that it appears to be more interdimensional than it does interplanetary. Um, the fact that it has a deep spiritual impact upon the person who experiences it. And then you add on top of it the fact that there's usually a spiritual message associated with direct contact. We're in the realm of occultism, demonism, right? Um, that, that really seems to fit like a hand in glove with what we are seeing. And, and, and how does Satan operate throughout scripture? In Genesis 3, he comes and appears as the wisest creature, a serpent, right? Let me give you my wisdom. You shall be as gods, right? Paul says that Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. He can appear in certain ways to us that, that meets a positive expectation within us so that we might be willing to believe what he has to say so to kind of jump in there yeah um because i see some parallel between this and what you're talking about it, it kind of sounds like the events that you're describing would be consistent with uh joseph smith and the angel moroni in in the tablets i mean is that fair to say 100 percent. that even people who've studied the history of what could be tied to UFO phenomenon, uh, Mormonism is actually usually tied in with, with that. Because here we have 
um, a man who claims to have had encounters with heavenly beings out in the woods. And they, they lead him to start a new religion. And that new religion, what's included is this belief in extraterrestrial life. So it's almost a predecessor to the modern UFO movement, um, Mormonism is. So you're spot on there. And Mormonism is really rooted in Swedenborgianism. Emanuel Swedenborg was a heretical Lutheran minister from the 1700s, I believe, who claimed to have psychically been communicating with beings on Venus and on Mars. And he created this, this whole heretical version of Christianity that involved, again, this um, ascendancy into godhood, um, where right we, we would eventually evolve beyond our present state and become gods ourselves over our own planets. And um, Joseph Smith really picked up on a lot of that. And Swedenborgianism was, was popular in heretical Christian folk religion at the time. And again, people have tied modern UFO beliefs uh, to Emanuel Swedenborg as well. Um, scholars who have looked at this have, have seen that connection. So, so yeah, that's, that's an insightful connection you made there, Nick. Yeah, no, it's super interesting. We live pretty close to Palmyra where he, you know, supposedly found the tablets and everything. And I've walked through the woods and I'm actually evangelized to, uh, to a Mormon in, in the cabin that he, you know, supposedly was raised in. It's, it's a whole right. kind of tourist attraction up here, but um, no, that's super interesting. I, I never really made those connections before this conversation. So yeah, it's, it, it makes uh it's kind of compelling, you know, like you're saying that a lot of these UFO scenarios are these interdimensional, suppose, you know, potentially interdimensional beings that are potentially angelic or completely different from anything we've experienced that are constantly contradicting the truth in the scriptures. And who does yeah. that? Yeah. And, and where, where you can really see the bluff you can catch these entities and their bluff in these encounters as they're constantly changing where they say they're from based off of our knowledge of the universe. So in those encounters, the airship encounters I mentioned earlier from the late 1800s and early 1900s that Jacques Vallée and others have cataloged, um, there was some contact that happened and people would describe strange little men swinging down on ropes um, from these things and, and having brief conversations with them. And they said that they were from Mars. Well, not, now we know that there's no life on Mars and they certainly wouldn't fly on these spaceships that look like Bowser's ship from the Mario franchise, which is what people were describing. Um, that they were seeing in the sky back then. In the 1950s, they said they were from Venus and from, from Mars. And now we, we know that no life could be on Mars or Venus. Um, and so th then in the 60s, with the Betty and Barney Hill abduction encounter, um, they said they were from Zeta Reticuli. And they actually gave her a star map that lo and behold, is actually accurate. Uh, but again, then, then where they say they're from matches 
our knowledge at the time. So they stopped saying they're from Venus and Mars. Now they're from, um, you know, planets in other star systems, which we had no comprehension of a hundred years ago. So the, these entities seem to be toying with, with our minds and with, as Jacques Vallée says, the boundaries of our popular imagination, which is why they appear different in different time periods. Uh, the the quote-unquote crafts they show up in look different according to our cultural expectation of what we think might look futuristic. And, and you can really catalog that throughout history, even within the modern period, from the, the 40s to the 50s to the 60s to the 70s. As another um, uh, UFO research, researcher has said, his name's Grant Cameron. I highly recommend his works, though I don't agree with his worldview, um, but he's a good researcher. He says it's almost like the phenomenon is turning pages on a book and it, it keeps changing um, with, with our cultural expectations. Yeah. Two points. Oh, sorry, go, go, no, go, go, Sam. No, um, Colin, two things I just wanted to kind of inject there. Um, I was raised Catholic and I have a lot of experience with, um, you know, Marian apparitions, not experience personally, but experience hearing about that kind of stuff. And with like um, St. Faustina Kowalska, do you think that kind of stuff falls under a similar rubric where it's, um, you know, adding to or questioning the sufficiency of scripture or, you know, even if it's supposedly appearances of Christ, it's saying to recite repetitive prayers and things like that. Um, that, and then I was wondering if you're familiar with, um, there's a guy, he's actually a, comparative religion guy jeffrey kripal um yeah okay um because so, so he had this book out come out a couple of years ago called the supernatural two words um with whitley striber who's one of these um abductees supposedly and that i i, I think i still have the book somewhere i, I might have gotten rid of it because i i bought it before i got saved um <laughs> obviously but th that's kind of i wonder if you think that's like a um kind of a harbinger of where the culture is going and that they have this very, like you've been talking about, they have this very positive mystical evaluation of UFO phenomena. They're, they're saying the same thing you're saying in the sense that like, yes, this is a new manifestation of spiritual phenomena that have been going on for thousands of years, but they're like, you know, it's great. You know, we should like merge with these entities and you know what I mean? And like, so, yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad you bring that up because yeah, Whitley Strieber has been around for a long time and he's in the middle of a lot of this. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll touch on both of those things you brought up um, in order. The first is the Marian ap apparitions. Absolutely, there's a connection between Marian ap apparitions and the UFO phenomenon. Again, Jacques Vallée, and, and I always bring up Jacques Vallée and people say, well, why do you always bring him up? Um, this is one of his books, Dimensions. Um, it's probably the easiest, I think, for Christians to read and look at it and go, okay, it's very clear what's going on here. He basically leads you by the hand to the conclusion that this is some sort of spiritual phenomenon, though he doesn't outright come from a biblical perspective in this. Uh, my understanding, Jacques comes from a, a, a Catholic background. And as I said, Jacques worked with Hynek when Hynek was hired by the Air Force. He helped map Mars in the 60s. He's an astronomer, a computer scientist. 
And everybody respects Jacques Vallée because he's the most sober-minded person investigating this phenomenon. He just looks at it objectively and says, this is what it looks like. This, this is, when I look at all the data, what it appears to be, but I could be wrong. Um, and again, he takes that interdimensional hypothesis. Jacques has done a lot of work in looking at the apparition in Fatima as a UFO encounter. And when you look at the original encounter, all they said, uh, the, the young girls who had that experience was that it was the lady. Um, it wasn't until they went to the Roman Catholic authorities that they sort of gave her the Marian interpretation of what they were seeing. And in that mass encounter that happened where there was tens of thousands of people there who saw the miracle of the sun, where, where the sun I think set midday and then reappeared as this spinning disc. Um, and you know, even skeptics who showed up experienced this. One thing that is often missed is people also witnessed this metallic disc um, going around, bumping around over the, the crowd. And as it went over people, it, it had been raining, their, their clothes would dry instantly. And okay, so first off with a spinning disc in the sky that, that wows people, number one, that, that sounds like a UFO, right? But then you add in this other phenomenon that people often don't hear about, but it was documented to occur with this, this disc that was all over the place around the crowd and it, people, when it went over them again, it would, it would um, dry off their clothes. I think some even claimed to experience a healing um, when it came over them, if, if they showed up with ailments. Um, Jacques has said that this 100% can be put in that same catalog of historic UFO encounters. And I'll just put this out there. I won't say his name, but you know, this is getting more into my interaction with the modern disclosure movement, but there's a man who's very close to Tom DeLong, um, even more close to Jim Semivan, who's the ex-CIA um, director of clandestine operations, who's involved with Tom DeLong. And Jim Semivan himself has had experiences. Uh, this man um, who's friends with them and almost everybody involved with this modern push for disclosure, um, he himself has had Marian apparitions, though he does not call her Mary. Um, um, he just calls her the lady. And that's been associated with encounters he's had with UFOs. Um, and so this individual is well known. Um, he's out there. His main encounter that, that's really captured him is this encounter with this apparition of what he calls as the lady and Roman Catholics would, would tie it to, to Mary, Marian apparitions. So yes, those two things are very intertwined. And I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear how much those two things have been intertwined historically. Um, your second question about Strieber and Kripal. Um, Kripal, I don't agree with his worldview, but he is a scholar who, like Jacques Vallée, has just taken a open-minded 
approach to all the data probably came into investigating this either thinking it's nonsense or okay if it's real then maybe we are dealing with aliens from another planet and he has since been in the rabbit hole that no this is some sort of interdimensional phenomenon that has to do with the expansion of our consciousness and realizing that we're one with the universe <laughs> and when you when you look at where people go over and over who get into this subject from a non-christian perspective or who have encounters it always leads to that monistic view of reality and as you said we need to merge with these beings well because remember a monist sees all of reality as being a projection of one unitary consciousness so we're all just different sides of the same coin and what ends up happening is people then see this phenomenon as being a harbinger to, to bring us back into connection with the fact that we are all in an Eastern mystical sense, God, right? And then so as Christians, alarm bells start going off because that's what Satan said in Genesis three is, is that, you know, partake of this fruit and you will realize your own Godhood. And that's that's where this phenomenon leads people time and time again. Again, that's not to say that some of this might also be secret technology from the government. And who knows if, if, if aliens do show up one day as biologically intelligent creatures, well then as a Christian, I will deal with that. <laughs> but most of what I see that's categorized as this again is hand in glove occult phenomenon. So question for you. I think it's the movie. Keep using that word. So it jogged a memory phenomenon with John Travolta, where his, con I think he sees a meteor or something strange happens to him. And then his consciousness kind of expands to seeing everything in the universe as one or something like this. Um, do you know anything about that movie and was kind of this lore maybe tied to the creation of the movie? Because it sounds kind of similar to what you're saying. Yeah, I, I think we've been inundated with with Eastern mysticism and and uh, various Gnostic schemes of understanding the world around us through Hollywood for years. Um, I, I'm I'm a fan of all psychological thrillers. I love Christopher Nolan movies, but because because they make you think but very often he is coming from an almost gnostic perspective um and I, I remember seeing that movie years ago phenomenon and um yeah i recall that theme there's a really good book out there by robbie graham um i think it's called silver screen saucers um uh yeah, I'm looking it up right now. Um, I, I'm pretty sure it's Silver Screen Saucers and then there's a, a subtitle or maybe that is the subtitle. But he tracks how um, Hollywood since the 50s has been by all accounts acclimatizing the public to these modes of thinking, especially as it surrounds um, the UFO phenomenon, strange phenomenon, 
you know, the name of that movie that you mentioned was, was Phenomenon. And he even documents how it appears that members of the Pentagon and the military have sort of encouraged Hollywood to do this. Um, and I mentioned that on the Cultish podcast with Ray a couple weeks ago that this disclosure movement, I can name people to you who've been at this for years. Um, Kit Green, Hal Putoff, Jacques Vallée, um, another shadowy, well, figure named Ron Pandolfi. Um, uh, there, there's a list of about 12 of them um, since the 80s who were all um, people associated with intelligence and the military who've been pushing this stuff out into the public, whether it's through forming relationships with the UFO community and passing on credible information to them to bring to the public, whether it's them um, getting involved with media and presenting certain ideas and concepts to the media or pushing for outright disclosure um, like we've seen in the last couple of years. In fact, Fox News, another guy who's on this list of guys who've been at this since the 80s, Colonel John Alexander. Um, Fox News just ran an article where a lot of what was in there was, was um, their interview with, with Colonel John Alexander um, talking about this UFO report that just came out with Congress. Again, he's been at this since the 80s. The movie, um, The Men Who Stare at Goats, about the uh, military's um, experiments in trying to weaponize the paranormal. George Clooney's character is based off of John Alexander. So, so there is, there is a, a history of these people bringing this stuff to the public through pop culture, through fringe, but now it's being brought out through mainstream culture and these same names are involved. Um, do, you, um, do you think that Bob Lazar is a credible source? I think Bob Lazar is telling the truth about what happened to him. But I think in my research, I think Bob was selected to be given certain information and they knew he was going to run his mouth. So he was used as a conduit to leak things to the public. Um, I say that for a few reasons. First off, um, um, he was friends with a conspiracy theorist named John Lear, who was openly promoting UFO conspiracies to the public. He was also friends with George Knapp, who's been another figure in the media pushing this recently, but George Knapp was the one who broke the Bob Lazar story at, at CBS there in Las Vegas. Before he got hired to work at Area 51, he was friends with these guys. And so when they did his security uh, background, looking at his connections, they could easily see that he was friends with people who would have leaked this to the public. Bob Lazar is also, let me put it to you this way, he used to fly a pirate flag above his house. He's a nerd, but he's sort of a punk rock nerd. Um, and so any intelligence agency that would have run a background on him would have said, this guy's gonna run his mouth. And so I think he was brought onto that base, shown some things, knowing that, you know, and they toyed with his head a lot, 
right? He, he talks about how, and, and even his neighbors and friends would say how they would break into his house and do all these things to threaten him. And um, they shot out his tires when he was trying to merge onto the expressway one day. If they wanted to kill him, why wouldn't they just kill him? It almost seems like they were purposely trying to scare him so that he would run to George Knapp with his story, because that's what he said he did. He went to George Knapp with the story to protect his own life. So it was almost like he was shepherded to do what he did. And what he encountered, I mean, he, said, he says he was dealing with some advanced technology, where it came from, what it was, I don't know. But they gave him documents that made him believe it was alien technology. And then there almost, again, seems to be this, this uh, uh, there's a lot of suspicion. And, and even Bob himself has said that. He, he doesn't wonder whether or not he was set up in this whole thing. And George Knapp has said the same thing. So I think he's credible, but I also think he was used. And what exactly it was he was dealing with at, at Groom Lake, that, that, that's a big question mark. That's awesome. That's sure. really interesting. I've listened to some stuff on Bob Lazar and I've never heard any of that specifically. So thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think if you watch that, um, either the extended clip from that documentary Jeremy Corbell put out somewhere in there, George does say that it almost seems like they set him up. Um, so, so he does say that in that documentary somewhere. Hey, Colin, uh, how much longer you got? I got, I got about 20 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Whenever you got to go, just yeah, let us know and we'll shut it down. <laughs> but I guess I, I have one question thinking about, you know, talking about all these abduction stories and kind of these apparitions and, and all this stuff. I mean, you, you, you mentioned it's kind of like a Moanist kind of worldview that it's pushing, you know, one with the world consciousness. Like what's, what do you think? I mean, I know this is a little speculative, but like, what do you think Satan's trying to, I mean, obviously we all know he's trying to push people away from God, uh, push people towards different things that will distract them from the one true God. You know, like I get that, but like, what do you think that kind of end goal is? Like what, what is, what do you think Satan's up to in trying to push these certain worldviews into our culture? And what, what's the end result of that? You think? Um, well, I, I think the best framework for answering that question is something that C.S. Lewis says in his preface to the screw tape letters. And he, he warns the reader about getting too intrigued about the demonic realm. And in that warning, he says, the devil would have us be one of two things. He would either have us be materialists or magicians. Um, and, you know, either one of those is not good. Throughout most history, the, the church ha has had to contend against the magicians. Think about Moses. Moses with uh, uh, the Pharaoh's magicians. Uh, even there, we, we see that governments, secular governments, pagan governments are involved with the occult. We shouldn't be surprised if we find out our own government's been toying with, with the occult. Um, but, but the magical worldview, the more I study the Old Testament, the more I see that 
uh, the Old Testament is a polemic against many things, idolatry and, and other things, but it's also a polemic against the magical worldview that most pagans held, held to. Uh, until we come to the modern period with, I would say, the, the top three philosophers and thinkers who made us materialists, even if it was, that wasn't their intention to make us materialists, was Descartes, um, Newton, and Kant. Uh, Post-Enlightenment, and in that era of, of, of the Enlightenment, post-Enlightenment, the scientific revolution, uh, the West became thoroughly materialistic. So what we did is, is following Kant's noumenal phenomenal distinction, we said that, okay, the, the noumenal realm is the, the realm of the mind, which is also the realm of faith. So God, angels, demons, morality, all of that stuff belongs in the noumenal realm. You can't um, know it scientifically. You can't be certain about it. Um, only the phenomena, that is things that we can test through scientific experimentation, only that can be known with, with any epistemological justification. What we've done post-Kant is we've not only become materialists, but we've said, and even in the church, we've acquiesced to this. Um, um, we, we've said that, that God, angels, demons, all of that stuff, you can believe in that if you want to, but it's in the realm of faith. It doesn't have anything to do with the real world, right? Only things that you can bottle up and test in a laboratory have to do with the real world. Of course, scientism and logical posit positivism are the end result of, of that framework. So that's the framework that we've been living in for hundreds of years, and that framework's falling apart. First off, um, this is an apologetics podcast. So as you know, uh, scientism is self-refuting. Um, the, the, the proposition that, that only scientific facts can be known truly is self-refuting because that can't be known scientifically. It's a philosophical proposition. So it collapses under its own weight when you push the antithesis. So modernity, which is really what materialism was built around, has collapsed. We are now in post-modernity or in what many have said is liquid modernity. And so everything is back on the table again. And likewise, advances in physics have shown that the world doesn't actually seem to be made up of stuff, but of information. That all comports more with an idealistic view of the world rather than a materialistic view of the world. That ideas are fundamental to reality, not material. And so we have this crisis where we've been materialists, um, but the materialists, and that's been the main opposition to the Christian worldview has come from materialists, from atheist thinkers, right? From Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, all these types of guys. When we think about Christian apologetics, most of our apologetics, whether it was uh, Van Til or Bonson or Schaefer was really aimed at materialism. And the foundations of materialism are corroded. Um, they, they are falling apart as we move further into post-modernity. 
And so as Lewis said, the devil will either have us be materialists or magicians. Well, materialism is becoming less and less cohesive, cogent, and it's also losing its grip on the public imagination. So what is the devil going to do then? Make us magicians. And it's very interesting that we have this phenomenon that presents itself to us as something materialistic on the surface. Ooh, spaceships. And then when people encounter it, they actually end up becoming magicians. And the magical worldview is monistic. Because if, if some ritual I perform or some incantation I perform can supposedly alter reality. I, I'm saying that my mind is tied into some super mind, right? That I'm a part of and that I can manipulate. Um, so monism and magic go hand in hand. So how, how do we respond to this as Christians? Well, we aren't monists and we don't believe in magic, but we are in a sense, idealists. We are soft idealists. You know, if we could put ourselves on the spectrum, how did God create the universe with his word, right? What are words? Information, right? God spoke the universe in to existence and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Um, all things are from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Trinity is, is at work even in creation and in providence, which means that there is reality is fundamentally mind, but it's God's mind and there's a creator-creature distinction. And, and who really emphasized the creator creature distinction. Van Til. Van Til, yeah. And then there's there's other there's other uh, men, even like uh, Peter Jones at uh, uh, with Truth Exchange, where he's done a lot of counter Gnostic and counter New Age apologetics. He's been spot on on a lot of things. Uh, again, he says the thing we need to emphasize is that we believe in twoism, whereas pagan worldviews hold to oneism. So what's going to happen is as materialism collapses, um, that's going to be the point of contention. Our, our twoism versus the oneism or the monism of, of the culture. And this whole phenomenon, again, is supercharged monism. As Sam said in that Kripal book, Supernatural, there's almost this desire to merge with these entities. Um, even Whitley Strieber's original book, Communion, which was about his abduction experience, that even in that book, he says, I'm not positive what I encountered was alien. He called it communion. And he's been very open that he's from a Roman Catholic background that was a play on words, as he saw it as this spiritual communion with another side of reality that gave him some great benefit to his personal development or whatever. Um, 
And so that's that's tied in with all of this. And I know it sounds strange, but that's that's where this stuff leads. And even the stuff coming from the government, the people who I mentioned before who are involved with pushing this and pushing the government for disclosure, um, they're all aware of all of this. And I, I think the government has covered this up, not so much because they have something to hide, but because of how weird all of this is. And um, there's been quite many voices have said there's even Christians within the government who, who sought to bury some of this information because they saw how it leads people in this direction. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this develops along with other things going on in our culture and then especially how this disclosure movement intersects with with, with with this shift that we're experiencing in our culture at the time and how people think. What would you say? Um, I know you got 10 minutes, right? Yep. Okay. Just making sure. Um, well, how does Jesus reign over this? How does Jesus conquer all of this? What is the gospel speak or how does the gospel speak uh, to to this paranormal and these phenomenons. I mean, and how can we be encouraged by uh, our faith in Christ and, and our Trinitarian God who reigns and rules this world and we need not fear? Great, great question in closing. Um, so in a Schaeferian approach where Francis Schaeffer always wanted to find the contact point with the culture or with the person he was interacting with, when we look at people who are into this subject, who've had experiences or who are, um, you know, maybe just wrapped up in this whole way of looking at the world, we see the image of God in them and that they do want communion with something that is deeply spiritual and profound. Um, and we, we have an explanation for that, right? We were created to be in communion with God. Right, eternity is, as Ecclesiastes says, is is it's, it's stamped on our hearts. Um, the the fluffy evangelical way of describing that is we have a God-shaped hole in our heart, right? And so it makes sense, especially in a world that has been under the delusion of materialism for centuries. It makes sense that the people want to swing in the opposite direction. They want to be in contact with something that that shows that we're not alone, that there's a higher purpose, um, that there's other possibilities as far as how we might live and how we might exist. I mean, that's the whole attraction of aliens coming here. Maybe they will show us a better way of living, enlighten us with their wisdom, but therein is where the problem is. Um, but at the basis of this, right, that people are dead in their trespasses and sins. And so they're not seeking God, they're seeking something other than God. And so even if God is presented to them, they're still going to prefer that other thing, whatever it is, whether it's a cult phenomenon, UFO contact, money, sex, any of it, right? in our fallen state, we will always gravitate towards those things before we will bow the knee before the King of Kings. 
And so we, we see that desire in fallen men and, and we can understand why they want something more out of life. But as we briefly surveyed in this podcast, what they're contacting doesn't provide them with answers, um, will only lead them into further darkness. And most of all, it cannot reconcile them to God. So Jesus reigns over this in that, as Paul says, um, he's triumphed over the principalities and powers. Um, Christ is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Um, he took upon our human nature. Our sins were imputed to him if we believe in him um, so that our guilt is taken away. He also put to death our sinful nature. And three days later, he was raised above it. He was raised above death. Uh, he was raised above the curse, having fulfilled the covenant of works in our place. And he is now God's king, according to Psalm 2. So he has authority over all, and especially over the, the spirit, spirit world. Um, that from day one, was one of the attractions of the gospel as it confronted the world of paganism was the fact that at the name of Jesus, the demons, the evil spirits would go away. Um, Tim Keller, you know, I'm not a huge fan of everything he does, but um, he, he is, he knows his stuff. Um, there's a lecture he gave a while back where he said that, uh, in the ancient world, the question was not only how can I be reconciled to God, but it was also how can I be safe or protected or freed from the evil spirits? This is what occupied the minds of men um, because they were encountering real phenomenon. Um, and the priests could appease the evil spirits. The gospel got rid of the evil spirits. Um, and that, again, was one of the testimonies of the gospel as it confronted paganism. And even you'll hear stories of, of people in our modern world where they go to Africa or India, where there's a lot more occult phenomenon. And they, they see the power of the gospel working powerfully in context where people are in bondage to paganism and, and they see demon possession and they see things that we don't see here in the West as much. And so Christ not only reconciles us to God so that that God-shaped hole in our heart is, is filled. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are reconciled to God. We are justified. We are adopted. We can know that we are the children of God. But he also grants us the assurance that, that, that the evil spirits cannot touch us. Um, so for as believers, that, that's what we have. That's what we can offer to those who are in, in, the, in the midst of the darkness and, and in various bondages because of their involvement with, with this phenomenon. And, and believe me, it's a lot more prevalent than you might think of, of people experiencing dark things as they get into this. Um, but I also think as the culture 
looks for a new foundation. Okay, we've been materialists. Now all this supernatural stuff not only seems real, but, but we're looking for a worldview that, that gives us a foundation to understand it while also not getting into the irrationalism of the occult. Christianity is a worldview in our apologetic. Look, we can account for this phenomenon without getting involved in all this woo. Um, so, so men like Sam Harris, who, who's an atheist, and, and he's recently said on his podcast that he was tapped by members of the intelligence community to um, uh, consult with them about how to bring this information out into the public about UFOs. Uh, Sam Harris has said, we're going to have to apologize to everybody who we've been laughing at um, about abductions. Years ago, he would have been laughing at people who talked about abductions. Trust me, when Sam begins to hear about this phenomenon, um, as he's saying he's being briefed by all these intelligence people, he's going to look for, well, I don't want to get into all this weird new age crystal stuff. Is there a worldview out there that can keep me rational, can account for this phenomenon, um, and, and give me a worldview through which I can coherently understand it? Well, the gospel can. Christianity is perfectly okay with science and the supernatural, right? So, so at, at three levels there with, with what we can be assured of, what we can offer to those who are in bondage to this kind of stuff, and then the, the larger culture as it interacts with these discussions, we have a lot to offer. And that's why I've been kind of sounding this alarm bell, because I think we need to enter into the ring and be ready to enter into the ring. Um, because this shift is happening. Amen, brother. Thank you for that. <clears throat> you know, you That's always, awesome. yeah, we always got to come out of this, this strange, scary stuff with the gospel because, uh, and you know, it's like when I watch conspiracy theory things or something and go to bed, I think the government's going to like come knock on my door that night and I'm all sketched out and I got to pray, God, keep me protected, you know? Uh, but yeah, I mean, for real though, I mean, this, you know, um, I know you got two minutes, but you know, in my, before the Lord saved me, I was real heavy in the drugs, alcohol, psychedelics, all that kind of stuff as well. And I, I experienced some strange phenomena and some stuff that was creepy, like laying there with your eyes closed and feeling like there's some reptile creature in the corner in the shadows and you can feel them there, but you can't really visualize it. It's, I mean, there's yeah. just been some strange experiences I've had and uh unfortunately dallas isn't here uh he's one of the other hosts co-hosts and uh he i mean he was uh someone that had to hold me down on my bed when i think i was possessed or, or something like that at one point and laughing and punching holes in walls and and that was that night is when the lord came and rescued me so i mean For he sure. saved me yeah he saved me out of that stuff and i get it and uh i remember being into all this kind of stuff because it was interesting and, and thought-provoking, but yet it just led me into more darkness, like you're saying. And uh, but God's God's faithful, and you know He saved me. And and any of the listeners that are listening, you're wondering if can God save me out of this mess and sin I'm in? Yes, call out in repentance and faith in Him, and He will save you. Amen. Yeah, there is not a sin or a bondage that we can find ourselves in 
in this life that he can't step in and rescue you from. And when he does, it, it's powerful. You know, when I experienced it in my conversion, it was like the lights came on and it was so manifestly clear and real. Um, and it was like, everything came together and you, you walk away from all of that stuff. Um, knowing that we're living in this fallen world and we still have to do battle with it, but, but knowing that you're free and, and that, that is a, a great assurance to have and a, a great feeling to experience when it becomes experiential. Mm. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I, I mean, everything I, I experienced always felt shady. Uh, but when God showed up and rescued me, it was definitely, like you said, it was, it was almost like, uh, this purity, a cleansing, uh, experience that, didn't carry the weight of all the strange mystic stuff I have previously experienced, you know? Uh, right. Yeah. There's, 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 there's clarity, there's rationality. There's, there's just, it, 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 it is true. You just have that sense of, of that, that this is true. This is real. And that's the work of the Holy spirit. It's the mm. testimony of the Holy spirit um enlightening our minds to know the gospel and and to really apprehend who god is as he's revealed himself in his word mm. yeah great stuff con thanks again for doing this brother of course. Um, i know you got to run but uh, i mean if people are interested in uh, maybe diving more into this i noticed you mentioned a couple of books and then uh, if you would share some more i remember when you're on brian knapp and chris bolt's show uh revelationary apologetics uh you mentioned um one book written by a guy, a Christian brother uh, on the Holy Spirit or something like that and evil spirits or. Um, so, so uh, that would probably be Gary North. Yeah, that's what it was. Billion Unholy Spirits. That's probably one of the best Christian books on this subject. Um, Alien Intruders by Gary Bates is also very good. And there's a documentary that goes with that. Um Non-Christian books, uh, Valet's Dimensions is, is really good, as is um, Diana Pasolka, who's friends with Jacques Valet, and I've, I've had some interactions with her over the years. She's a religious studies professor at the University of North Carolina. Her book, American Cosmic, published by Oxford, excellent. Um, I'll also announce right now that I'm in, involved with making a documentary called Myth, that will most likely involve some some pretty um, well-known names in this field. So also look forward to that coming out in the next year or two. Mm. Great. And if people want to find you, do you have any, do you blog or you do anything like that or? No, I, I need to, but uh, I'm on Twitter as Desert Rev and you can just find me on Facebook, Colin Samuel. Um, I'm pretty easy to reach out to and interact with, especially if you have questions or, or things you've been wrestling with pertaining to this subject. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Colin. Uh, we'd love to have you back on again. Um, and yeah, talk, I would love talk. to. This has been fun. Yeah, yeah, we love you, man. And thanks so much for doing this. I'll let Sam and, and Nick say bye on their own before I close this thing out. Thanks so much, Colin. This was, this was awesome. Yeah, brother, real blessing. Uh, really kind of helped me understand how a lot of these things, uh, alien encounters, 
are more um, of a twisting of truth than just some unrelated non-spiritual phenomenon. Uh, so really encouraging for me, really, uh, really interesting and look for looking forward to uh, next time we have you on. Right on. Yeah. It was a blessing to be with you guys. And I, I um, pray that God continues to use this podcast. Thanks, man. Yeah, well, without further ado, this was Colin and and me, Nick, and Sam. Uh, until next time, this is Root and Revelation Podcast. God bless you guys. Mm-hmm.